So now let's hear from the Lord um, this morning from Romans 8, verses 1 to 6. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned, uh, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that, that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to be back with you all. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. If you didn't know, Rachel's been a teacher her whole life. You can maybe guess. And this church is blessed to have her. So, yeah. Um, let me just remind you uh, what we're kind of going through today. Um, last week I was here and we, we looked at what, is it, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does that mean? What does it mean to practice the presence of God um, every day of our lives? Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I really just wanted last week to... Um, for you to go away with just with a better understanding of what that even means. What does it mean when we say we want to abide with Jesus? Um, what does it mean when we say we want to practice his presence every day? Um, essentially, I said we're, we're talking about uh, discerning and developing habits of his awareness, uh, of habits of awareness of God's presence in our life. So uh, believe it or not, his presence in your life doesn't like wane. It doesn't like he's sometimes more present than others. He's present in you. You, as a, if, you're a, if you're a Christian, you have his spirit dwelling in you. Um, what we're talking about is just habits and discerning of that awareness and, and enjoying that awareness. Uh, we looked at John 15 where Jesus, uh, he described and, and really invited us into this new way of living where it's no longer up to us as his people to uh, conjure up our own faithfulness, uh, conjure up our own fruitfulness in this new way, He does that for us. Uh, all we have to do is, is, is be connected to Him. Uh, we are branches. He is the vine. He supplies us with all that we need, all the power, all the health, everything we need in order to be fruitful and to multiply and to bless the world. Um, and what an amazing way of life. What a joy-filled way of life that He's inviting us into um, I gave that example of Brother Lawrence, this cook. He's a dishwasher, uh, and uh, he wasn't a famous pastor. He didn't write a uh, load of books. He didn't write any books, really. Um, his kind of journals were compiled into a, a book after he died. Um, he, he didn't have this like, massive influence and following, which I love that example of, of someone who is a dishwasher, who just simply learned to uh, keep his mind uh, occupied with God's presence, to enjoy God's presence, um, uh, just to be aware of that and to live in that en enjoyment of his presence. Um, and, and he learned to do that not just in like quiet moments and these kind of devotional moments in his day. He learned to do that all day long, no matter how noisy his moment was, no matter how many uh, where he was, no matter what he was doing. Uh, he just practiced being in the presence of God and enjoying it. Um, I wanted you to begin to see that that way of living, it's really the only way forward for Christians. It's the only way to actually live the life that God wants you to live. It's the only way to actually live the life that he has created you for. And it's actually the only way for you to truly get what you most want out of life, um, which is joy to the full. Um, Jesus is inviting you into that way uh, of living. And, and I desperately wanted you to understand that this isn't just something that's for the the, the spiritually elite, which is an oxymoron anyways, isn't it? It's, that's, that's not a thing. Um, this isn't something that's just for like the really mature Christians that you maybe kind of can work your way up to one day. That's not what we're talking about. This is something that's available for all of you in this room, every follower of, of, of Jesus. Uh, this is um, for all of us. 
Um, there's one thing that I want you to begin to, to grasp. If there's one thing you, you take away from these two weeks, it's this, that, that growing in God's presence, it's a process that ordinary Christians go through. Growing in God's presence is a process that ordinary Christians go through. Uh, one of my favorite teachers on this subject was a, a Chinese church leader in the 20th century called Watchman Nee. Uh, he wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. This is how he describes this, is the normal Christian life. Um, that's what Jesus is calling us into, uh, not some elite level of Christianity. It, it, he's just calling you into what should be the normal for, for followers of Jesus. Um, and it's best summed up in Galatians 2.20. I think it's on the screen. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Watchman Nee would say what Paul is describing there, it's not some like elite level of Christianity. He's describing God's normal for his, his people. It, this, the, these, these, this normal Christian life, which is summarized in these words, I, I live no longer. Christ lives in me. Um, uh, so those, those words shouldn't be some, uh, something that you... You, you get to by being a super elite Christian, it should just describe the normal for followers of Jesus. And, and if you are experiencing anything outside of that, then you're actually experiencing the, the, the abnormal. You think that like, oh, this is something that you work up to, and now I've kind of crucified myself with Christ. He now lives in me. This is like the, the, what we're, this is like the, the extraordinary. No, he's saying what's normal is for Christ to live in you. For you to abide in him. And if, we just, if we, he's, he's, he's saying, if you're, if you're not experiencing that, then it's not like you're, you're, you're just like some normal Christian. No, you're actually, you're missing out on something. Um, he goes on in that book and he says that God has one answer for all of humans' needs. It's Jesus. So if you need salvation, get Jesus. If you need forgiveness for your sins, get Jesus. If you want to get rid of your guilt, and your shame, which I think everyone in this room does, he says, get Jesus. If you want to live a more blessed life, a more uh, fulfilled life, a deeper, more meaningful life, get Jesus. If you want joy to the full, get Jesus. Um, in fact, Paul would say, get Jesus and, and get out of the way because he wants to live his life in you and through you. Um, that's the way you can truly live the life that God wants you to live and to experience joy to the full. And it's for every follower of Jesus. It should just be the normal for Christians. Um, it's possible for you. Um, I read that book when I was 20, and, and it, it started to kind of shift my, it kind of planted in my mind this idea that, that maybe this light, that kind of life is for me, which is really great because I'm really normal. Um, like, has anyone ever made like the, you've, like the emoji on your phone? You can like make it to look like you. Um, I can't do that because it's just like a white guy with brown hair. It's like no defining, like, have you seen Angie? If, you have, if Andrew Elders ever texts you, like, oh, that looks just like him. Red beard, glasses, beanie. Um, mine's just like a guy, a male. Um, even growing up, I was really normal. Like in school, didn't really excel. Just kind of real normal student. Even today, I'm never like, I'm not like the smartest guy in the room. I'm not like the personality of the room. Uh, incredibly, incredibly normal. Um, which is great, because those are the kind of people that God generally, generally uses in, in the Scripture. Um, but I want you to realize that that life of dying to yourself and abiding in Jesus and Him living through you, it's for all of us. It's for every follower of Jesus, which is really great news. Um, he's made you for that purpose. Um, here's what he's talking about, really. Uh, he's talking, we're, we're talking about this process of becoming who Jesus has already made us. Um, that's, that's a Bible word called sanctification. It's, it's this, this growth in your life. It's this, this, this sanctification just means being made holy. It's you being, you being sanctified as you being set apart and made holy. Um, anytime we talk about sanctification, sanctification uh, it can be a little bit tricky because in the Bible, it's, it, it's, it's, it's talked about as something that Jesus has done but it's also something that he's doing in your life. Um, so the Bible talks about your sanctification as something that he's accomplished on the cross, that Jesus has, has, has done that on the cross. So for every follower of Jesus, 
once you've, once you've put your faith in him um, and, 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 and what he's done for you on the cross, he makes you holy. Um, Martin Luther calls this the great exchange where all your sinfulness is placed onto Christ on the cross and all of his righteousness and beauty is actually clothed onto you. Um, that's something that his, he, has, he has accomplished. That is something that is complete. If you are in Christ, you are wrapped in his righteousness. You are sanctified. You are holy. When God looks at you, he no longer sees this failure, this sinner. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Um, but at the same time, in the Bible, it's also talked about something that is being worked out. It's this, this process that takes deliberate action on our part, something that, that he does in you and we are part of. Um, it's something that we actually grow into. Done in the past, still working out in the future and the present. Uh, a little bit confusing. So the best way to define sanctification is it's this process of becoming who Jesus has already made us. Um, and that growth press process, it takes time, doesn't it? It takes this single-minded commitment. Uh, the Bible's clear that followers of Jesus can't be like kind of followers of Jesus. You, you can't be kind of half in, half out. James talks about that, doesn't it? You can't be a double-minded person. Um, but at the same time, even the Apostle Paul, he, he writes about the, this inner turmoil as he works out this sanctification, as he, as he strives to kind of bring his life into unity with Christ. So what's also normal, we're talking about this like normal Christian life, what's also normal is that this process of sanctification is experienced as a fight. It's experienced as a, as a battle, isn't it? It's, it's not something that's just like, oh, easily done, flip a switch and we're, 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 we're going through it. It's, it's hard, it's difficult. Paul attest, testifies to that. Paul teaches that, that we Christians have, have two natures in a way. We have our new nature in Christ. He calls this the spirit. And we also have our, our human nature, our, our flesh. You, you have this, this new nature, this, 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 uh, this new identity in Christ. This is your life in the spirit. But we also, at the same time, have our old nature, our, our sinful human flesh, which never goes away completely while we're walking on this earth. Um, here's a picture to help you kind of understand. Um, I was born in Arizona, and Arizona's it's a big desert, and like any desert, there's snakes, poisonous snakes. And uh, one day, we had a rattlesnake in our, in our yard, and my brother, who a lot of you know, uh, he's probably about 13 at the time, uh, he decided to be this hero, and he got up on this table that this kind of snake was sitting under, and he had a big spade, and, and he chopped the snake's head off, and he killed it. Um, total hero, like 13 years old. And he got down and he picked this dead snake up by the tail for a picture because he's like just so proud of himself. And snakes though, when you, if you chop their head off, they still have this like nervous system that's still active. And while he's holding this snake uh, without a head and completely dead, it still like reactively reached up and like tried to bite him on the hand. And he just dropped it and he screamed. Um, and, and that's a good kind of, that dead snake is a picture of our human flesh. Officially dead, officially crucified with Christ on the cross, but it's still kind of kicking around here on earth. It's still kind of wreaking havoc. Um, so what we're called to do is we're called to live as these kind of amphibians in this life. Do you know what an amphibian is? It's, you know, lives in the water or on earth. That, that's our, our, uh, what we're called to do. We live this life in the spirit this new life, this new identity in the spirit, but with our flesh still kind of kicking around. It's still kind of kicking around while we're in our earthly bodies. So what we're called to do as these kind of dual-natured amphibians is to practice walking in his presence day by day. That's it. And he's calling us to, to just practice walking in his presence day by day. We become more and more led by the spirit more and more walking in light of the Spirit and less and less indulging our sinful flesh, more and more kind of killing our flesh, dying to our flesh, putting it to death. We're just learning to practice walking in this new life in the Spirit so that we can enjoy the freedom and the joy that He's actually brought us into. So practicing God's presence 
It's not about perfectionism. It's not about creating this like uh, polished product because that's not possible on this side of eternity with our, our flesh still around. Um, it's not about a, a product. It's about this process of drawing nearer to the person who loves us. It's a, it's a process of drawing nearer to the person who loves us and wants us to come close to him. He's inviting us closer to him, learning to, to look to him as the answer to, to, to all of the trials of life. He's, he's, he's the, the eternal source of all goodness and truth. Um, hopefully that starts to make a, a clearer picture of what we're talking about. This life of abiding in Jesus, remaining with him and never leaving. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by kind of flipping a switch. You're not going to learn it in kind of like two weeks in a sermon. It's, it's this process of learning to draw nearer to him to look to him in every circumstance as the one who has uh, the answer to all of our needs. Um, Look again at those words in Galatians 2.20. Paul describes this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. That's his sinful flesh. That's that sinful nature he's talking about. This this crucifying, that that killing of that human nature. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's this new life in the spirit, our new nature, this new identity that we've been given by God. And listen closely to that last bit. He says, um, this is what we're trying to learn to do. He says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's, That's abiding in Jesus. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Catch that last bit. That's the the most important bit. For Paul, the key to living this life of faith in the Son of God is to know that he loves you and that he gave himself for you. That's the key. That, that's your, your starting point for learning how to even live this life in the Spirit. To know that he loves you and he gave himself for you. It's absolutely crucial. It's absolutely essential that you learn that to be truth. Because, here's why, because every single one of us have baggage, don't we? We all have these misconceptions about who God is and what he actually thinks about us. These, these lies that we need corrected. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, every person in the room to some degree or another has like dad issues, don't we? Because you have human dads that aren't perfect. Every single person in this room will have relational scars in their past You'll have relational troubles in your future. And all of those things actually affect the way we view and understand who God is. Since we're talking about things that are normal in life, here's something that's normal. It's normal to to have this kind of thought. Surely there's no way that God could possibly love someone like me. That's absolutely normal thing to have thought in your life. In fact, if you've never thought that, you may have some pride issues that you need to deal with. Surely there's no way God could love me. Surely his feelings toward me are more disappointment, are more disgust. And herein lies the greatest kind of hurdle to learning to live this life of abiding with Jesus is you're never going to learn to be with him if you think that he doesn't want to be with you. You're never going to want to draw near to him if you think that he doesn't want to draw near to you. When friends, you need to realize that the complete opposite is the truth. He loves you. He he gave up everything to get you. He delights in you. All of you. He makes you make his heart sing. He loves you. You need to hear that often. And Paul said in Romans 5.8 that, that you can know that's true, that the proof that that is true, he says, is found at the cross of Jesus. Remember that, that verse where he says, God proved his love for you and that while we were sinners, and in other words, before we ever wanted to be with him, 
He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. I know it's, Jesus loves you. Like you've been, if you've been growing up in church, you've been singing that song your whole life, but I know it's still hard to believe. Like that, that this is a truth that you, your, your, your flesh wants to reject every single day. But it's true. He loves you. He delights in you. He loves when you draw near to him. No matter how many times just this week that you've rejected him, that you've run the other way, Maybe there's a bit of like, maybe there's a bit of guilt, a bit of shame when you're thinking about how you've done that this week. No matter how many times you've done that, he delights when you draw near to him. Because he loves you. Unlike every single one of our earthly dads, our heavenly father is perfectly good and he gives the best gifts to his children. And the very best gift he could possibly give you is a relationship with his son, Jesus. Because that's where endless joy is found. And so he's inviting you to come to him and to remain. Um, and again, intimacy with God through Christ, uh, it grows like any relationship. Not, it's not some, you don't just flip a switch and overnight you're there. It's like any relationship. It, it takes time. It takes failure. Sometimes you feel a little bit more than other times. There's going to be times when you completely fail in it. There's going to be times when it's awkward, just like any relationship. But it takes commitment. And, but that's what he wants for you, and that's what he wants from you, is intimacy with you. you. Believe that. He wants for you to be dedicated to drawing near to him. That's what he wants for you. He's looking for love and devotion from you to him as a person. He wants you to be dedicated to him, not dedicated to a, a program or a system of beliefs. He wants you to be dedicated to him as a person. He wants you to come to him. So that's our goal, get Jesus. That, that's our goal in all that we do. And that's our motivation for every moment of our life, no matter what we're doing, should be, how can I draw nearer to Jesus? That, that's, that should be your goal in all that you do. If you do make that your, your life goal, get Jesus, which is really easy to like remember, that's my goal, that's my, my, my desire, my motivation, and all that I do. If you make that your goal, it will start to completely change your life. In every moment, how can I draw nearer to Jesus? How can I, get, how can I in, in this moment, know him better? How can I devote this moment to him and again, we're talking about our normal, ordinary, noisy parts of our day, not just our Sunday mornings, not just our quiet times in the morning. It's when I'm putting my kids down to bed after a busy day, and I just want to be done. <laughs> I'm tired, worn out. How can I be aware of Jesus' presence in that moment? Noisy, but how can I abide with him there? How does death to flesh and living life in the faith Change that moment. How can I devote that time to him? Uh, or maybe for you, it's uh, you're going to work on a Monday and you have that team meeting and you just have in your mind all the things that you need to do. How can I, in that moment, be aware of his presence? Speak truth to my soul, abide in Christ, stay connected to the vine in order that I may receive power for that day and, and bless, the other, uh, bless your coworkers and experience the joy of God's nearness and presence. Um, so you might begin to be thinking, I want that. Like, I do, I do want to, to, to experience his nearness. I do want to draw near to him. I want that to be, like, the desire of my heart. Um, so you, you might be thinking, well, then what do I do? Like, like tell me what to do. Show me the steps. Um, give me the action points. And listen, there will be doing, like, like you, you, when you start to get practical and begin to look at what this way of life actually looks like, there's, there's habits, there, there's, there's doing, there's helpful methods. But before we even get to that, it's of utmost importance. When you begin to, 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 to approach what it looks like to continually abide in Jesus, that our focus should be on our being with him over our doing for him. 
Our focus every day when we wake up and throughout the rest of the day should be on being with Jesus before we even begin to think about our doing for Jesus. Um, is doing for Jesus essential? Yes. Look, we just spent three months in the book of James. It's about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer of it. James is like, you want to know if someone's faith is genuine? Look at the way they live their life. Look at what they do. It's about this faith that works. It's faith in action. So it's true. Intimacy with God will result in activity. But as the poet and theologian Aaron Weiss says, a glass can only spill what it contains. You can only give what you yourself have received and possess. And so our doing, as important as it is, must always flow out of our being with Jesus. Our activity for the Lord should never outpace our being with Him. And you see this all throughout the Bible and throughout history. Those who who know the Lord deeply and walk with Him closely For all those people, that they're being with him, that they're knowing him intimately is the most important thing in their lives. It's what their activity, their doing actually flows out of. And David, in the Old Testament, he learned this over time through lots of failure, lots of sin. He he did lots for the Lord, didn't he? Fought battles, uh, took down Goliath. He was king. He led the nation of Israel, wrote countless poems and songs. But over time, he learned that the most important thing must be being with the Lord. That's what he wrote in Psalm 27.4. He said, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. This one thing, he, 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 he decided, this is the thing, my main thing. This is the one thing I'm going to seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple That was his first work, to be with the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty, to inquire with him. Um, Learned that through a lot of failure, a lot of messing up, Um, but his number one priority was to dwell dwell in God's presence. He learned that his doing for God absolutely must flow out of his being with him. Um, Look at Romans 8, if you have your Bibles open there. Paul talks a lot about doing for the Lord, doesn't he? He loves like sporting metaphors to describe the Christian life. Christian life is like a race. He talks about himself being like this boxer. Um, loves activity. He knows there's, there's going to be doing. Um, but even for Paul, that, that doing must always flow out of our being with the Lord. So um, let's read it again. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's just take a corporate sigh of relief in the beauty of that sentence. You stand uncondemned. So, he says in verse 2, here's why he says in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus From the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How did he do that? On the cross. He sent his Son to die for you. That's how he set you free. And this is why he did that in verse 4. He says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And look at how he describes us at the end. He says, us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's that activity. Our, our, our sinful nature and, and, and our, our living and walking in the Spirit, our, our new nature, this is how we're called to live in this new identity in Christ. To, we, we walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Paul knew that this, this new way of life would be activity, be result in, in, in walking, in running, in, in boxing. There, there's this activity, but listen closely to what he says in verses 5 and 6. This is so important. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit 
set their minds on things of the Spirit. You see what he's saying? He's saying that we, we will walk in this new way of life. That there will be change in your doing, but you'll walk, you, you, you'll walk according to the Spirit. But that doing, he says, must flow from your being. That, 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 that walking is a result of what you set your mind on. Have you, ever, have you ever caught that before? That was something that was new to me this week. We're called to walk according to the Spirit, but that will result from, you, from what you set your mind on, from you setting your mind on the Spirit. And for Paul, it's a matter of life and death. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So again, he's saying, what a better way of life. What a glorious new way that results in, in life and peace. And so for Paul, our starting point is not walking. Our starting point, what comes first, is setting our mind on the Spirit. Our, our doing for the Lord must flow out of our being with the Lord. And so Brother Lawrence, who learned to do this, his, his kind of everyday work, he learned to do that out of his being with the Lord. So he may have been working in that busy kitchen making meals, doing dishes, but his priority, even in that moment, was to be aware of God's presence and to enjoy it. Paul would say what he was doing in that moment was he was setting his mind on things that the Spirit desires. He was actually doing Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what he was doing. Do that, that, you see that amphibious life of Brother Lawrence? He, he, was, he was living his life in the flesh. He was doing earthly things. He's doing his job. He's doing dishes. He's making the meals. But at the same time, he's setting his mind on heavenly things. He's, he's living by faith in the Son of God. He's, he's abiding in the love of the one who gave himself for him. He was just enjoying that presence and nearness. You see how we're called to live in both worlds at the same time. The, the spiritual overlaps with the material for us. Brother Lawrence was taking seriously Jesus' call to be a branch that stays connected to the vine. No matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, his first priority in that moment was to remain in his love and to practice being in his presence. He was just enjoying that access that God had freely given him, that nearness that we enjoy because of Jesus. Paul says there will be doing, but it must flow from your being with God. It must flow out of setting your mind on heavenly things, on things of the Spirit. It's a struggle. Like it seems, in some ways, you're like, oh, it seems simple. Don't think about this stuff. Think about this stuff. It's going to be grand. Um, that's not the way we, our minds work, because our minds are, are prone to wonder. It's, it's frustrating just how easily my mind gets fixated on the wrong things. Do you feel that frustration ever? Our minds get so fixated on the wrong thing, not even necessarily the worst things, the, the, the baddest things, just not the best things. So for, for, for you, it's, it's maybe it, it's when you're up for the fourth time in the, in, in the middle of the night with, with, with your crying baby, and your mind just can just get fixated on the wrong things. Or maybe for you, it's when you have your calendar open and you're, you're, just, you're planning out your week and your mind, even in that moment, can get caught up in, in earthly things, in busyness. Or maybe for you, it's when you're, you're in your home and you think about other people's homes and your mind can just get caught up in, the, in earthly things, in fleshly desires. Or maybe it's when you, you're scrolling on your phone and your mind just starts to get fixated on fleshly things rather than things that the Spirit desires. Whatever it is, our minds are prone to wander and, and we easily, easily return to fleshly things. And the desires of the flesh begin to take up residence in our mind again and we begin, we, we begin to, to dwell on those things and we begin to wander into Anxiety, 
We wander into worry and, and pride, anger, jealousy, lust. We, we wander towards ignoring God in His moment-by-moment presence and faithfulness. So even in those wandering moments, He's loving you. He's delighting in you. And we just wander from that, don't we? Which is why Paul says, before you get to your doing, set your mind on things that the Spirit desires, not on things that the flesh desires. He says it again and actually builds on it in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. So that's, if you've been raised with Christ, you can, by default, you've been crucified with Christ. So he's talking about this, this death of the flesh and this new life again. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You died. Your, fl- your old life is gone. Your flesh has died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Brother or sister, what are you setting your mind on? At the beginning of your day, through your day, what are you setting your heart on? Is it set where Christ is? Are your thoughts with him and his presence on God's things, or is it set on earthly things? If you don't know the answer to that question, you'll, you'll be able to tell based on the fruit in your life. And are, are, are you constantly anxious? Are you constantly worrying? Are, are you weary? Are you angry? Are you jealous? Are you just worn out? That's a really good indicator that your mind is, is being occupied by earthly things rather than with Christ. And Paul says we stay away from those sinful thoughts by learning to let the Spirit guide our thinking. And so it's, it's like when you're flipping through the channels. We don't really do that anymore. It was on Netflix. But it's when you're uh, you know, scrolling on your phone, just like one thing after another, rather than setting our minds and, 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 and pausing and, and planting them somewhere. And the Spirit can then work with our consciences and helping us see where our minds should be and where they should linger. And, but did you notice in, in Colossians, Paul, he adds to what he's saying. He begins to talk not just about your mind, but about your heart. He's saying we, we not only need this ongoing mindset, we need an ongoing heart set. We need this, this tuning of, of both our minds and our hearts to the things of God. So our, our approach each day, it goes beyond our thinking. It starts to include our affections. He's, he's not just talking about what you... Uh, this kind of mental ascent, what you set your mind to. He's talking about what you love. He's talking about what you most deeply desire. What, what do you want most? Look in uh, Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Um, in this passage, we're shown more of what setting our minds and hearts on the things of God looks like. Um, and it's not just about eliminating wrong thoughts and desires. It's about replacing them with better ones. Um, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every circumstance, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he says, this is the result of when you do that, he says in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's that there's dual natures. When you're setting your mind on the on what the flesh desires, on on earthly things, that results in anxiousness. But Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, he says, abide in Christ. And, and here's what that looks like. He says, in every circumstance, in every situation, be prayerful. Come to him in prayer with thanksgiving. Not just in the mornings, not just at prayer gatherings. He says in every situation, being prayerful. You can't do that unless you're aware of his presence, is practicing that, learning that. Living that way, abiding in him, he says it results in your hearts and your minds actually being guarded in Christ Jesus by, by the peace of God that, that surpasses all understanding. Isn't that incredible? 
And so he says it again, he continues, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of, pr- of praise, think about these things. Set your mind and your hearts on heavenly things, your mind and your hearts with Christ. That The word there, uh, um, the, what does he say? At the end, think about these things. It's the same, it's similar to that word dwell. All of these beautiful, these Christ things, these heavenly things, he says, dwell on them. Let, let these things take up residence in your mind. It's not just like every now and again flipping through, but dwell on them. Meditate on them. Chew on them. Stay there. Not just in quiet times, but all day, every day, in every circumstance, he says. Important to, to, just to begin to understand that, that our doing for God must flow out of our being with Him. We must first set our mind on heavenly things with Christ. What, is, what does Paul mean by that? Um, what he means by setting your mind on heavenly things, he, he's referring to pursuing a deeper knowledge of Christ Himself. Not just like uh, good things, heavenly things. He's saying, pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ himself. That's, that's our goal in all that we do. Get Jesus. Get Christ. Experience him deeper. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul says that in, in Philippians 3.10. This is his goal. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That was Paul's forever goal. That to, to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. If you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I'm going to tell you the main reason to even become a Christian is that. The main reason to, 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 become, uh, to put your faith in Jesus, it's not so that you can live forever, which is an amazing thing. <laughs> it's an amazing truth. It's also not so that you can get rid of your guilt and your shame, which is, which is an amazing thing. The main reason is you get to know God in Christ. You get to know your creator personally, deeply, intimately, and you get to enjoy him. That should be our main desire, our main goal, know Christ. And that's what he's referring to when he says, set your mind on things that are above, pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ himself. That, that was Paul's goal in all that he did. That was Brother Lawrence's goal in all that he did to know Christ, to set his mind on heavenly things, to dwell in the presence of God, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek his kingdom first, and to live a life that is worthy of his name. I want you to see the difference between doing for God and being with him. Doing for God, so important. It It will happen, but it must flow from our being with him. Lots of examples of men and women who lived this way, uh, but the greatest example was Jesus himself uh, because no one did more than Jesus. He did a lot. Uh, that's how John ends his gospel in John 21. Like, <laughs> he, said, he ends by saying, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. No one did more than Jesus for the kingdom. Um, but for Jesus, his, his work was done out of his identity being firmly rooted in being the beloved of the Father. Jesus did a lot. You can maybe do a lot. But like Jesus, it's because it, he did that work out of that identity being firmly rooted in being the beloved of the Father. So before ever engaging in doing public ministry, Jesus' first concern in life was being with his Father. It was knowing his identity as the beloved of the Father, being known by the Father, enjoying his Father's presence. So for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, you don't see anything extraordinary happen. He doesn't do anything extraordinary that we, or that we know of. That first 30 years was all about him firmly planting his life, his identity, in being who God said he was. In Luke 3, 22, you see who God said he was. His Father says to Jesus, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That was pronounced upon Jesus. 
The Father, you are my Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus' first priority here on earth was to plant his identity there, to, be, to know that as his identity. And I want us to see that that's all we're calling, that, that we're called to do the same. And we're called to know that in Christ, we are now sons and daughters of God, that we are now the ones that he is pleased with, that we are the ones that he loves, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We're called to root our identities in our, 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 ourselves in that identity, to, to recall that, to dwell there before we get, engage in doing. And, and when Jesus does begin his ministry, he goes out into the desert, remember? And you have those three temptations of Satan during those 40 days in the wilderness. And all of those temptations are, are, are mainly focused on this issue of doing versus being. So, so two of those temptations essentially are, if you are the Son of God, do something. And then the third was this bribe to abandon his relationship with his father and to bow down and worship Satan. So, Jesus, so Satan in the desert, he's tempting Jesus to make the foundation of his ministry all about his doing rather than his being with God. And Jesus, he prevailed in that temptation um, simply because he was, he was single-minded in his focus on being with his father, uh, of living out of that identity of being the beloved son of the father with whom he is well-pleased. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus is calling us to make being with him our first priority, to abide with him, to abide in his love, not to be tempted with these setting our minds on, on fleshly desires. They lead to death, church. Jesus is saying, set your mind on me. Set your mind on, on who I say you are. And I'll lead you to, to life and peace and joy to the full. And I'm done, but last week I said there's, there'd be lots of uh, practices, lots of methods of what this actually looks like lots of habits that you can use throughout your life. Um, these habits, these aware, these present habits and methods that help you keep your mind in his presence and aware of his, his nearness. Um, lots of different activities, lots of different habits and practices. Um, some things may work for one person and you'll share that with someone and it doesn't work for that other person. That's okay because you're all different. And something might work for you for a while, and then it might grow stale after a while, and you'll have to come back again and try something else. Um, I did say last week there's practices that will be essential for all of us. So what this actually looks like to, to abide in Jesus, lots of different practices. There's here some essentials for all of us. Um, time in the Bible. We, we are people of, of the word, um, essential one of the ways that we set our minds on things that are above is to stop listening to ourselves and to, to speak truth to our own souls. This is a huge one. This is what David does in the Psalms over and over again. He, he preaches to himself. He tells his soul what to believe. He, David gathers God's truth from Scripture, and then he speaks it to his soul so that he would dwell on what was good and true and honorable rather than what was despairing and worrying um, and you and I need to do the same. So time meditating on God's word. Um, prayer seems obvious, but, but praying God's word, not just like our own thoughts and, and ideas, but, but being in God's word, preaching that to ourselves and praying that. Come to the prayer meeting on Zoom. What a way to learn how to pray just by listening to older saints pray. Just listen and, and pray along and, and ask the Lord to, to teach you to do that. Be with God's people, okay? Your sanctification, it's not, it's, it's a community project. It's not something that you just kind of work through, just you and Jesus on your own. Um, it's, it's not an individual pursuit solely. Um, saying that, there is individual aspects to it. Silence and solitude, I've learned incredibly essential. 
um, something that we're awful at, aren't we? Because we're so distracted, we're so busy, um, we're so bored. Um, But I think it's clear in Scripture that that silence before the Lord is a key component. These commands of, of be still and know that I am the Lord. Jesus constantly taking himself off just to be with the Father. Um, so there's those, these practices that are essential for every believer, but I just want to encourage you to, to talk about that. What is it? Ask someone this week, what does this look like in your life? What do you find hard about this? What, what, what has worked for you? Maybe I'll try that. Um, talk about those things. Um, dig into those deepers, uh, th- those ideas deeper, um, uh, some of these ideas Talked to, I, I mentioned, I think we're going to do like maybe, if, if you want, maybe another like Zoom night or something to dig even further into some of the actual practices and habits. Um, now that East and South have both done that, maybe we can do a big Zoom. And if anyone wants to dig a little bit deeper, you can hop on and, and we can share some of those things. But no matter what the habit is, no matter what the practice is, our goal in every circumstance, get Jesus. Pursue Jesus, know him deeper, abide in his love, root your identity in in who he says you are, and then simply enjoying that presence. So much to enjoy. There's so much joy for you to experience. Um, Hopefully we want that a little bit more. Um, Hopefully we understand what we're actually talking about a little bit more and desire that. So um, let's stand and pray. And Father, we need your help. (laughs) We desperately need your help in all that we do. Our natural inclination is to wonder. It's not natural for us to, to want you. We need you even to want you. And we thank you that, uh, that you help us in that. We thank you for your love. Um, this love that we, um, uh, we just do push against grace. Uh, give us something that we can earn, Lord. Give us something that we can uh, maybe accomplish. Not the way of, uh, of the gospel. We thank you, Lord. Help us to understand your grace. Help us to understand your love. Help us to know your love, the width and the depth of it. This love that is just impossible to know, we get to begin to understand that. We get to explore the depths of that for all of eternity. It's what we have been gifted with. It's what we'll delight in for ever. Um, Lord, help us to begin to understand that now, though. Let's pray for my brothers and sisters who have a flesh that can be strong at times, a flesh that that pulls us away from you. Lord, increase our affections for Jesus. Help us to set our minds on you and things that are above to dwell with those thoughts. Help us to be with you, Lord, and may that lead to us doing. Um, uh, Give us a greater imagination, Lord, of of what this can look like. Um, Give us those habits, give us those practices. Um, Help us to be aware of your nearness. These things in Jesus' name. Amen.